0: Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. Uh, we have a special edition of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast where I am glad to welcome co-host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. He's also very involved with the Locked On NBA podcast network in general. And Nick, let me make sure I get the last name right. It's Nick Angstad. Is that right? If I Yeah, got that's it wrong, good
1: I'm enough. Right. That'll work. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but Nick Engstad actually has been, you know, a frequent voice with Locked On for many years now. He does a great job covering the Dallas Mavericks through their Locked On podcast, but in general, covering the NBA. And the reason why we wanted to bring him on was to discuss the Southwest Division, one that certainly has been one of the more interesting division battles so far this season. But in general, Nick, thanks for taking time to join us.
1: Absolutely, Sean Coleman. And every edition of Locked On Grizzlies is special. I want to just put that out there. (laughs)
0: We 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 appreciate you saying that uh it we'll say this though it's always better when we do have you know more voices in place and we but we more than anything we enjoy the opportunity to talk about the Grizzlies, but also you know teams that certainly are rivals when it comes to the Grizzlies success. Of course, you can find the show at Locked on Grizz, myself at stats SAC. You can find the podcast wherever podcasts are available, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the podcast app on your phone, anywhere you enjoy your podcasts, that's where we will be. But we're going to jump right into it with Nick. So Nick, obviously... You know, it's been kind of a no. I would say a rather disappointing, you know, start to the season for a few teams in the division, and and a you know, satisfying start. You know, you have the Spurs with the start that they've had, but as the first half continued to go on, it just seemed like the theme of the division: when was Dallas going to wake up? If New Orleans wasn't going to figure out its defense, when was Dallas going to wake up? And I would say that over the past month, they certainly have, and that kind of to me is the theme of the first half. Dallas is finally here, and it seems like they're starting to take reins of the division.
1: Yeah, and I think it wasn't necessarily them waking up. It was when they, when they were going to get healthy, right? And maybe the, the wake-up part, I guess, is just the Kristaps Porzingis angle of it, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But him being out was tough at the beginning of the season. The Mavericks were able to overcome that. And then when he came back, he just wasn't the same. And we're now just seeing him become the player that the Mavericks fans expect him to be. The all-star type level player I don't even think he's showing us you know all NBA type games it's just like all-star level games and so he's, he's finally hitting what's expected of him and that's been a, a huge thing the other huge thing for the Mavericks has been uh, I'm sure you guys have you've dealt with this and uh, Mavericks fans are actually pretty mad at the Grizzlies at some points because the Mavericks had a ton of players out with you know COVID-19 health and safety and then injuries at the same time and so Mavericks had to play shorthanded for a couple weeks there. And that was brutal. Like it was brutal to watch. It was brutal to be a part of. It was brutal to cover. And and then the Grizzlies had their thing happen and they missed a bunch of games because the NBA changed the rules like right after that. And so Mavs fans have been like, what is going on where the Grizzlies have all these games off and the Mavs had to actually play? Uh, But that was the big thing. And so the Mavericks, you know, had a pretty disappointing middle part of the season. And now they're just kind of, they're ramping up really. And they're back to the team we expected them to be.
0: And speaking of teams that we expected them to be, you know, I think the team that the the Mavericks and Grizzlies have been kind of following for much of the year until, you know, here recently with the Mavericks now kind of coming even with the Spurs is the Spurs. And I think that, you know, we've seen the Spurs kind of be who we thought they would be if some players really stepped up. We've seen DeRozan step up in terms of having an all-star campaign, though an all-star worthy campaign. Keldon Johnson and others certainly have stepped up as well. But the Spurs, I think while they are who we thought they were, to uh, use a cliched term, I do think that while that's been successful for them so far, I think it also is something that kind of makes it reasonable for the Grizzlies and Mavericks to kind of see, okay, we know what this Spurs team is and is successful, but it seems like the Spurs may have kind of hit their stride, but they may have also hit their ceiling as well when it comes to their outlook for the rest of the season, especially with how many games they have left in the second half.
1: Yeah, the Mavs just played the Grizzlies or the uh, the Spurs last night, and so we got a good look at them. They're a really young team. Like They have veterans, right? They have DeRozan. Aldridge is now not playing anymore, so he doesn't count. Uh, Patty Mills, obviously, all uh, as a, a veteran, Rudy Gay, but they're relying a lot on, like, Keldon Johnson, Derek White, Deontay Murray, uh, and, like, you know, a lot of guys like that. Jakob Pertle, another guy they're relying on a lot. And so it's, it's kind of going to go up and down depending on um, – how those guys perform right like can those young guys show up we didn't really see a ton from them in the Mavericks game last night and so DeMar DeRozan kind of had to carry them and when he's expected to carry them their team doesn't do a whole lot they're also an incredibly good defensive team which I was kind of surprised by just uh you know looking at them overall they had like a a 105 like a 109 like defensive rating or something like that which is just like crazy. it's 110 now because Mavericks Mavericks put it on them last night but uh they're a really good defensive team which I didn't really uh, expect going in especially a team that starts DeMar DeRozan but uh, that's that's been their kind of calling card and so yeah I think how much can they get away with like the smoke and mirrors Greg Popovich and this young team I, I don't necessarily see them as a threat at least to the Mavericks but they've had a really really good season and you know they're solid they'll probably be in the play-in uh if not you know straight up in the playoffs
0: and defense, I think, though, is kind of the theme of the division so far. Now we'll talk with the, we'll talk about the Rockets a bit more in the second and third segment. You know, they because of defense, they seem to be entering the playoff picture to begin February, but I now zero thirteen to end the first half, so they're pretty much out of the picture now. But defense has been, you know, what has kept the Spurs in the running so far? Um, the emerging, you know, defensive identity of the Grizzlies being really aptitude opportunistic has really stood out for them. The defense for the Mavs is improving, which has helped them get back in the race. But the team that really is struggling defensively right now, though they figured it out offensively, is New Orleans. And I think that that's what stood out for them. It just seems like with New Orleans, Nick, is that, yes, especially with an expanding Zion's role, their offense certainly is a threat. But that defense just seems to be kind of an Achilles heel for them. I don't know if they're going to be able to overcome it. I mean, have you gotten any indication from the first half of the season that New Orleans can figure it out defensively?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It, with, with the way Zion plays right now, he's incredible, an incredible offensive player. Just his defense is lacking in a lot of areas. And that was one of the reasons why they went out and got a guy like Steven Adams. Cause they thought that they needed somebody at the rim to cover up some of his deficiencies and it just kind of clogs the offense. And so they've gone to this lineup of like Zion and Nicolo Melli as the front court at times. And that's, really bad defensive lineup and so it's kind of they're kind of just stuck with the personnel that they have they have Lonzo is a good defender you know Eric Bledsoe is a good defender Uh, Ingram can be a good defender at times but it's just not enough if you don't have that rim protection element and it's kind of the same problem as the Mavericks the Mavericks have some decent perimeter defenders but they don't necessarily have the the backline defense to kind of thwart all the stuff at the rim and so yeah I don't know if the I don't know if the New Orleans can overcome it I also I don't know about you Sean but I think they're going to be sellers at the deadline too I think they're going to be a team that you know Lonzo's going they're going to be taking calls for Lonzo taking calls for Eric Bledsoe if they can get rid of him taking calls for JJ Redick for sure and so I'm not sure if they're going to go I'm not sure if that's a team that's going to you know overcome that unless Zion goes on some crazy run in the second half which I could see him doing
0: And then we come back to the Grizzlies as well and getting your perspective as someone who covers the NBA, covers the Mavericks, you know, probably pays attention to the Grizzlies as a Mavs fan. You know, the thing that I you know, wrote about and talked about on here here recently is that the Grizzlies are, you know, we know their offensive identity, identity, passing, production in the paint, getting out on the run. Well, defensively, their identity has been creating turnovers, tops in the league in that. And now they're starting to find their groove as far as discipline. On defense. When you look at the Grizzlies, I feel like that they emerge as potentially being the Mavericks' best competition overall. But in terms of the first half, what impressed you most about the Grizzlies' play despite all the injuries and the COVID interruptions they had to deal with?
1: Oh, I'm just impressed by this team overall because you don't you don't expect it especially with jaron jackson jr out right like you just say oh they're missing jaron jackson jr they're going to be you know a walk in the park right like (laughs) other teams will be able to beat them they're not going to be that big of a threat like what john Morant has done with this team and what uh just the the grizzlies overall have done they're just a solid team like top to bottom i've been impressed with desmond bain he's a guy i really wanted the mavericks to target and get in the draft and they didn't do that they went with uh Tyrell Terry with the 31st pick, which they probably could have traded up and got Desmond Bain. And then uh, Josh Green with the 18th pick. And I think they're kind of regretting that at this point. Um, Desmond Bain has been been great for them in that, that starting lineup. And so anytime you watch Ja, too, it's just something different. And he's just, like, from the outside, just, just watching him, seeing highlights – he's not that great of a shooter. And so you're like, ah, there's limitations to this, but there's not, right? Like he he does not accept those limitations at all. And he just, he's, he scores in a way that uh, you kind of don't expect at times his athleticism. It's just, it's awesome to watch. And you got a really good one in Memphis.
0: Happy to have him, you know, since that Mavericks game, um, you know, where where the Ma- 102-92 loss a, a few weeks ago, where the Grizzlies just did not have it. Jaw has really taken off, hopefully showing that he is healthy, um, you know, going forward. But speaking of going forward, you know, when it comes to the Mavericks and the Grizzlies, you know, certainly getting some people back from health, well, healthy will certainly seem like trade deadline additions. But we'll get into that with Nick, talking about what each team could do at the deadline that could really help define their second half of the season. So, Nick, looking at the Southwest Division, when it comes to, um, you know, overall these teams, you've got five teams here, and I think that, you know, each one kind of has a different outlook with what's going on. And we'll start with the obvious sellers. Now, obviously, the Rockets, you know, again, 0 for 13. I think they've lost 13 in a row. Obviously, Christian Wood, though, there are indications he could be back. uh, since certainly has been, you know, a big reason for their lack of success. But obvious sellers, and Victor Oladipo stands out for them as being an obvious trade chip. Seems like the market may not be what they hoped it would be for him. But as far as the Rockets go, just, you know, do we see Oladipo basically being the guy to go? Could there be a potential to where Gordon, Tucker, Wall may be in play? Uh, you know, how active do you think the um, Rockets and obvious seller are going to be at the deadline?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, I think they're going to be obvious seller too. There's, well, there's two probably in the Southwest Division and the Pelicans and the Rockets. Uh, yeah, the Rockets just they're uh <laughs> they're, they're slumping right now on the lockdown NBA show. I was on with Jackson Gatlin, and we talked about the the Rockets are uh the skid mark in H Town right now, is what they're, they're kind of going on, and that's the nickname we came up with them. Uh, they they've got definite some definite pieces to move. PJ Tucker's a, a player I'd be really surprised if he's still on the Rockets past the deadline. Victor Oladipo there's always been the rumors that he wants to go to Miami and so I doubt he's going to re-sign in Houston. He's a free agent this summer and so I would expect them to try and move him for anything, like just try to get anything before he leaves in free agency and they just lose him for nothing. And uh that was kind of one of the main pieces in that Harden trade too. So that was a little that was that's a little strange to me that how this whole situation has worked out for them. But yeah, they're just not. Maybe when they get Christian Wood back, they'll be a little bit better and be like a you know just a barely sub five hundred team instead of just a terrible team. But I don't expect them to to make any huge type leaps and uh, become a team better than, than what they are right now.
0: And I agree with you when you say that the Pelicans could potentially they look like sellers at the deadline, but they have some interesting pieces in JJ Redick. Perhaps Eric Bledsoe, interesting to see what they'll do with Lonzo Ball. But I want to throw the Spurs in here as well, though. I think the Spurs are a playoff team. Obviously, the news yesterday about LaMarcus Aldridge. Basically, between the Pelicans and the Spurs, you've got two teams with significant money contracts – Do we feel that they make these moves in these pieces that they could sell off? Is it going to be for assets? Or could you see the Pelicans or the Spurs using these big money contracts, perhaps in a bigger move to gain a guy that they could control for a few years to come? It's kind of a, yeah, yeah, we're selling, but we're also kind of buying for now in the future.
1: Yeah, it depends. I mean, there's so many different – like right now there's, there's like no rumor, like no real rumors it feels like. And so anybody can go any different direction because of the play-in games. It's changed the dynamic of all the – like the whole trade deadline, I think, because every team feels like they're in it, right? Like Memphis is in it just as much as – like the Pelicans, if they win a couple games, they go in like a five-game winning streak, they can all of a sudden be back in it, right, and start feeling like they can be a playoff-type team if they win that play-in. And so giving teams more of a chance – I think it's going to make those games later in the season better and more competitive, but it's going to make things like the trade deadline, probably a little bit more uh, subtle. And you'll see, I think we'll see more moves like the, the Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade that the Mavericks and Sixers did in the off season where it's two teams that are trying to compete and they just flip pieces that they think could make the other team better. And so I think it's going to be more like that. Uh, the Spurs specifically, they have a couple of veterans, but I don't know. Like the Spurs don't make many in-season trades; they haven't for a long time. DeRozan's also an unrestricted free agent, so if they start to slide, and maybe they start to see that they're like this is not really a playoff team, it's kind of you know a team that's been playing a playoff team on TV that they can move DeMar DeRozan if they don't think he's going to resign. Rudy Gay's also on an expiring deal. Patty Mills, like all their all their veterans, basically are on expiring deals, so they could turn around and become a seller all of a sudden. And start sending off those guys, and if they do, if they do that, then to answer your question, I think they would try and get assets for them. I don't know if they're going to be able to get like you know young players or like uh, like a same level of asset as far as a you know current player. I think they'll have to get draft picks and stuff like that.
0: And that leaves us with the two teams that I think, you know, are most focused on the playoffs this year. Even if, you know, myself and others, you know, we talk about, you know, is it best for the Grizzlies to make the playoffs, you know, in a vacuum? You know, maybe you can make a case that it may not be. But this team wants to make it. And I think when it comes to the Grizzlies, they're kind of going to stay put. I think that they're going to try to see what they can get with Gorgie Dang. Maybe they see what's out there for another one of their veteran pieces to maybe bring in another controllable asset like they did with Justice Winslow last year. But I think I kind of agree with you. The subtle move remains there for the Grizzlies if they even make one. I think they're pretty much going to play it out and see what they get back with Jaron Jackson Jr. when he's healthy. But that brings us to the Mavericks. So a couple of things about the Mavericks, Nick, is do you feel that, you know, they see they can kind of take the reins of this division? Do they make a significant enough move to ensure that? And could that move possibly be trading for one of these restricted free agents, Lonzo Ball, John Collins, someone like that, who they might be able to pay for the matching right control of in order to help them this year, but also be able to have full control over their future as well? Do you see the Mavericks making a significant move at the deadline?
1: For my podcast numbers, I sure hope so, Sean. (laughs) Trades always lead to uh, more listeners and everything like that. So I'm I'm, I'm on board with that. But I think the Mavericks can – they have a couple of pieces, but they don't have a lot of assets to try and uh, claim one of these guys. But they do have max cap space this summer. So they could take advantage of a team like the Rockets, like the Pelicans, where they're thinking that they're going to lose somebody. And the Mavericks swoop in and say, "Well, we don't think we'll lose that player. We can just re-sign him. We have this cap space, and we're a team that's winning. And they'll want and that player. Will want to stay. And so, Alonzo makes sense. A JJ Redick makes sense. Maybe not for a long-term deal for Redick, but uh, they could get him. Uh, even some of those Spurs guys. Like kind of any of those Spurs guys. Kind of makes sense to me. De- DeRozan, if they could find some kind of deal and give them something for him, if the Spurs decide to sell, I would I would be surprised if they did that, but." Uh, yeah, a John Collins would be really interesting, but I don't think the Mavericks have enough to trade for him specifically, uh, especially since he's going for that max deal and he turned down this huge, like $90 million deal. So the, the Hawks are trying to figure out what to do with him. And I don't think they'd give him up just for like peanuts, which is basically what the Mavericks could offer. So they'll make, I think they'll make some kind of like ancillary move, but I don't know if they can make, they have the assets to make a huge type move unless they trade like a Josh Richardson. Who's, you know, who's, Like uh, value is probably way down right now. Uh, Other than that, like a Jalen Brunson, I guess, has some value, but he's so important for this Mavericks team that I don't think they can get rid of him.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that, you know, I don't know if we're going to see a big move. I could see the Mavs possibly making something just to kind of move the needle a little bit. But at the end of the day, I do think that the Mavericks are the team to beat. And we're going to come back and discuss that with Nick a bit more as far as the second half of the season. What really could make – what what outcomes in the second half of the season for these teams could really make them have a boost going forward into this offseason? So Nick, we'll just come right out and ask real quickly. My guess is, in my opinion, this seems like this seems like the Mavericks division to lose. But what about either the Grizzlies or perhaps the Spurs? Does anything about either of those two teams really concern you that, you know, if they do a certain thing, they get hot, they really could challenge the Mavericks as we move forward?
1: The only thing I think that would make that happen is Porzingis getting another injury, I think. I think the Mavericks are, they've finally established that they're healthy. And like, this is a good indicator for the Mavericks. They're 13 and four when Maxi Kleba starts. And Maxi Kleba was out the longest with COVID. He was you know, gone for a while and the Mavericks really, really missed him in that starting lineup. And now that he's back, that's a good indication of what the Mavs are when they're healthy. Now, maybe they're not 13 and four for the entire season when he starts, but they are, they're a really, really good team when he's back. And that means everyone else was back as well. So Porzingis getting hurt again, that would be a thing that would happen. But I think this Mavericks team is now back on the right path. They have, essentially the same record as the Spurs right now and I don't see them I don't see them going in the same direction at this point. So, uh I don't think so the Spurs maybe their defense if they if they really turn it on and yeah like I don't I don't see that. I don't see the Spurs making any kind of move. The Grizzlies though, when Jaron Jackson Jr comes back, that could be a very similar thing for the, you know, for the Grizzlies that the Mavericks just had where they're finally now all healthy. And Jerry Jackson Jr. changes a lot for them because he's such a dynamic, you know, offensive player. Uh, he can be an impactful defensive player. And so when he comes back, that's the thing that I think could really change stuff for this division. But I still think the Mavericks, everybody's staying healthy and all that. I think they, they're going to run away with it.
0: I agree. I, I do think that one thing that could change the dynamic is we're talking on March the 11th. Say by the time April comes and you've got Jaron back hopefully for four or five games and towards the first of the month, maybe Jaron, even if it's not in 30 to 35 minutes a game, but he's bubble Jaron, you know, playing at a rate to where he's scoring 20 to 25 a game, maybe that gives the Grizzlies the boost that they need. But we'll ask your, this question for you, Nick. Porzingis has kind of been talked about as being, you know, hey, he came back too early. You know, is he his former self? Can he be his former self? You know, I don't know if he's fully back, but I will say that over the past 10 games, he's really settled into a significant supporting role for um Luca and the Mavs. He really has been performing well and is starting to gain that offensive of consistency that the Mavs hoped they would get in him when they traded for him.
1: Yeah, the funny thing about him coming back too early was that at the beginning of the season, so go back to the his surgery. He had his surgery late in the off season because the Mavericks thought that the season would start around February or March. That was like back then. Remember, there was this, this random week where all of a sudden it was like, "Wow, well, it's probably going to start January, maybe February, March." And then all of a sudden, the NBA was like, "Oh wait, we want Christmas games," and they just changed course dramatically. That was right about the time when the Mavericks decided when Porzingis was going to have his surgery. So he had his surgery on his meniscus tear, and he. Came into camp and he thought he was ready to go at the beginning of camp. He said he was ready to go. He was there, but the Mavericks held him out. So they held him out a little bit longer than even he wanted. He missed about nine games to start the season. And then he comes back. He doesn't look right defensively. The offense starts to kind of come around. And then the Mavericks have that week-long layoff where all the power went out in Texas and he after the, after that they're they're off for about a week and then after that he missed a couple of games of back tightness and now he's finally back and he's starting to look like the Porzingis that we remember from last season so it's it's kind of complicated with him there's been some some weird rumblings of does he want to be on this team does he like his role does he want to go be a star somewhere else and so Uh, It's kind of hard to get a read on Porzingis. He's very honest in media sessions, but then that always makes me think that there's something else like looming there or like something else lurking behind that mask of like honesty. So I don't know. I, I think that they'll probably stick with what they have right now. Porzingis will continue to play this way and they're at their best when Porzingis is playing this well and we like it. We, we, we hope that it continues and, um, yeah, if he can stay healthy, which is always the big if, this team has a high ceiling.
0: And another thing that I think gives Dallas a bit of a boost is you know, the fact that when you look at this Southwest division, there are four teams that have a first-round pick or at least a chance to have their first-round pick in this draft. Dallas is the one team that doesn't. So if there is a team – that has every reason to go after it as much as they can this season, it's Dallas. Of course, it helps that they, you know, argue, you know, they got obviously the best player in the division and possibly the best roster. But going away from Dallas, you know, I know the Grizzlies are going to try their best to make a move. I still think that the um, front office for the Grizzlies is going to try to play this out with the focus being on the future. But especially in the case of the Spurs, if they sell off the veterans and the Pelicans and the Rockets, it seems like that for San Antonio, New Orleans, and Houston specifically, their best bet would be to kind of let this season play out as it may, but hope that they get in the best position possible to get a good pick in a very loaded draft. That kind of seems to come into focus for those three franchises, especially if San Antonio sells off assets at the deadline. Would you agree?
1: I don't know if that's in San Antonio's DNA anymore, right? Like, like I think they're too far gone to do the thing that they did for Tim Duncan, right? Like, I don't think that they can get to that point yet. They're just they just won too many games at this point, uh, but. Houston for sure right like Houston right now as they're sitting they have third best lottery odds and that's like that's the sweet spot right there because you have just as good odds as Minnesota or Detroit so Houston has an incentive to not be that good uh New Orleans I guess they still if they want to keep adding pieces around Zion like the lottery odds stretching out and the way that they've changed it has incentivized a couple other teams like well you know what we we could go for the play-in but we might as well just Go for this, you know, go for these lottery odds because uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a win win situation either way for New Orleans in that case.
0: Agreed. And that's the situation with Memphis is that, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really see how Memphis is over is able to overcome Golden State, Dallas, San Antonio, whoever it may be to get into the last few spots in the playoffs they may be in the play in but I agree it's kind of win-win if you make it great but if you don't you're in the lottery in a very strong draft so you know it's going to be exciting to see but that that is you know the case with the southwest division it really is seeming that for a lot of reasons it makes sense that Dallas is emerging as the clear front runner with a few teams in Memphis and San Antonio it'll be interesting to see how they finish out the month of March with any additions or subtractions it's going to be a lot of fun speaking of fun Nick, Memphis is a market that loves to follow basketball, even beyond the Grizzlies. And I know that you have, you know, an iron in the fire in many things when it comes to the NBA and lockdown. Where can folks find you? What work do you have coming up in the near future? And how can they follow your work uh, via social media?
1: Yeah, you can follow me at Nick Van Exit on Twitter, uh, after the great Nick Van Exel. And you can follow at Lockdown NBA Pods to follow all the stuff we're doing with the Lockdown NBA Podcast Network, and uh, yeah, all over the place with Locked On. Basically, anything that happens locked on, I have some hand in it in some way. So <laughs> there's there's lots of stuff going on. If you're interested in college basketball, we're doing a Locked On NBA draft that we just started. I got to hire a couple of guys, which was awesome. And so we just started that show that Sean has been promoting. And so, yeah, a lot of good stuff like that.
0: And the locked on now, I know that I've gotten some good feedback on that from you know followers of the show. You know, Nick has his hands in that. He's great to work with, very creative mind, also very knowledgeable. We can't thank him enough. Nick, if you'll stick with us for just a second after the show, of course you can find the show at Locked On Grizzlies, myself at stats S-A-C on Twitter. Follow the show wherever you may look at your podcast may ever get your podcast. Listen, subscribe, review, enjoy. Let us know of any content that you might like to be discussed. We always want to make sure our content is relevant relative to our listeners' preferences. For Nick Van, e- for, <laughs> for Nick Van Exit, for Nick Unstad, my name is Sean Coleman. It was a pleasure to join you today and hope you have a great one. We'll talk to you soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?